All right, so open your Bibles this morning. Luke, uh, well, let's see, Luke chapter 8 is where we'll have you start. But before, as you turn in your Bible, I, I told you today is a special day. Uh, February 2nd, 2020 uh, is, a, is a unique day. Now, maybe it's your birthday, and that makes it even more special. But if it's not your birthday, today is what is called a palindrome. Does anybody know what a palindrome is? Okay, I'm gonna, today is the best day you could have came to church because you're going to learn lots of cool things today that have nothing to do with the Bible, but these are really cool. Uh, the palindrome is a word or a phrase or a sequence that reads the same backwards as it does forward. And today is February 2nd, 2020, and if you just write out the date, month, day, and year, it actually is a palindrome, except for our signal just went away. It's 02022020. It's the same forward and backwards. As a matter of fact, that only happens like every few several hundred years. Uh, so the last time that this happened uh, was, in, was like 909 years ago on November 1st, 1111, the year 1111. So that was 909 years ago. And of course, all eight digits of the date were 1111. One, one, one. Okay. It's the same forward and backwards. Does that make sense? Are you people not number people or math people? This is really fascinating to me. The next time that this is going to happen, we can just ditch the projectors if they're not working. It doesn't matter. Look, the next time that this is going to happen is 909 years from now. No, excuse me. Actually, it's 101 years from now on December 12th, 2121. None of you will see it. Okay, I just want to encourage you today that today is the last palindrome as, as it relates to a date that you will ever experience this side of heaven. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you're here today? Uh, the, one, the next one after that is going to happen 900 years later and then 1,000 years later, ultimately at uh, April 4th in the year 4040, which is, which is pretty wild. Today is also Super Bowl Sunday and also Groundhog Day. So I'm just telling you that today is really a cool day to be in church for no other reason than all the weird things that are happening today. Okay, so that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be in the Bible uh, this morning. So this morning, the message is entitled uh, 2020 Vision in 2020. And, and we've, spent, we've spent the month of January really wanting to see clearly some things that Christ has for us. We want to start the year off with a clear vision of our salvation. We want to start the year off with a clear vision of, of, of seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ the way we should properly see them. We want to start the year off seeing our own sin as something that needs to be dealt with. We want to start the year off as seeing that God has called us to the ministry of evangelism and discipleship and church planting. That's what God has called us to, and we want to frame and focus this year on the things that are important to God. We want to see clearly, and uh, last week, we, my wife and I, we took our daughters to uh, the, the pediatrician, and, and we, we took them in for their checkup. One, one was nine, just, Nora just turned nine a couple months ago, and Emery turned four, and so we go in, and especially with a four-year-old, you know, they get like vaccinations and all that stuff, so that was really a fun doctor appointment. But one of the things they did that I thought was really interesting, I'd never actually seen them do this before, was that they tested their vision. And, and it wasn't like old school, like when I went to the doctor, and like you look at this thing on the wall, and you have to read the letters, 
and you read down as far as you can go, and then when you start failing miserable, they just say, stop, you, you're blind. Okay, stop. Okay, so, so they brought in this device, and, and I thought, I mean, are any of you guys old school enough to remember the little, um, the little thing that had the round disc with the pictures? What, I don't even know what the thing's called. The Viewmaster. All right, do you remember that? You remember those things? So they bring this thing in, and I'm thinking, hey, man, you got the old school Viewmaster. It was like this big. I was like, I want to look in that. It was like the 4K version or something. You know? And so they bring this thing in, and, uh, and so they tell my daughter, my oldest daughter, they said, sit right there, look at the light, and we're going to test your eyes. We're going to test your vision. And I was like, what? That's so good. It was like Star Trek or you know, Star Wars or something. And so they're holding this thing, and, and Nora's looking in the, in the light, and, and she can see all these light things dancing across her eyes. And it took like five seconds. And they were like, oh, you're good. Your vision's good. And I'm like, whoa, how can you tell from that short a period? And, of course, then we had the four-year-old, and we're like, oh, gosh, she's not going to cooperate with anything you ask her to do. And, but sure enough, she sat down and look at the light, and, and they shone the light in her eyes. And uh, from the machine, they were able to tell that everything was fine, that they had good vision, there wasn't any concern. And, uh, and so that was good news because we didn't have to spend money you know, on, on glasses or whatever. So I know that's selfish, but whatever. <laughs> if you're a parent, you know, man, kids are just like a money like trap. And, uh, and they're wonderful, but they just suck the money right out of your pocket. So, so here's the point. <laughs> they used the light shining into their eyes to check their vision, because they wanted to make sure nothing was wrong. If something would have been wrong, they would have prescribed, you know, glasses or, or, or corrective exercises or things like that. You know, and, and, and they tell us, medical doctors tell us, that everyone should get an eye exam at least every two years if you're 18 to the age of 60. But if you're over 60, you need to get it annually and, and even more frequently if you're at risk. And I'm looking around the room and I know some of you have contacts and some of you have glasses, and, and my goal is not to be your eye doctor today. Uh, but I am very interested in this topic because we've been talking about vision from the Bible. We've been talking about seeing things clearly. And we've learned a lot of things in the month of January. And, and there's a spiritual truth that we learn from the physical world that applies to our spiritual life. You know, when, when we test vision, when, when medical professionals test vision, Sometimes people are diagnosed with what's called nearsightedness. And, uh, and if you'll go back one uh, on, the, on the slide there, uh, people that are nearsighted, they can see things up close in front of them, but they can't see things far away. And so they need things like glasses or contacts to see things way off in the distance. And, and by the way, if you have that, the front row is really empty most of the time, and you're welcome to move up to, to see the screens better. Uh, the point is, uh, you know, the medical term for nearsightedness is called myopic, uh, and that's, that comes from the shape of your eye and all the different things. But the, the point I want to make is, you just can't see things far away. You can see the things right in front of you, but man, if you look across the room, if you're driving and you look down the road, the signs are blurry, you can't see the red light, you know, you can't see the kids out in the street playing. It's, it's kind of a dangerous type thing. But then there's another condition called farsightedness. And that's really an abnormal condition because you can see things at a distance. You can see the house and the trees and the road, but really the things that are right in front of you, you can't see. They're kind of blurry. They're kind of out of focus, so to speak, right? And, 
And again, some of you may have one or the other of those or maybe a mixture of those. The medical term for farsightedness is hyperoptic. And, uh, and, and so things that are right in front of you, you kind of miss. Well, uh, you know, I think there's a spiritual application because, because just as physically, sometimes we get impairments in our vision and, and, and sometimes we probably have a, a condition where we can see the things right in front of us, but we can't see far away. Or sometimes we can't see the things right in front of us, but we can clearly see the things far away. You know, I think the same thing happens in our lives spiritually. I think for some of us as Christians, God would, would have us get a checkup and take the light of God's Word and shine it into our eyes and really see how well our vision is. And, and that's my goal this morning. I think God would have us to say, okay, we've learned a lot of things as we've talked about having a clear vision for 2020 and what we're supposed to be about. But now it's time to test and see, are we really clearly seeing those things, right? That, that's the point. So let me pray, and then we're going to get into Luke chapter 8. And even if all the text stops working today, we can still preach the sermon. How about that? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we, we know that you have us here today on purpose. Uh, there's no accidents today. There's no uh, just coincidence that we showed up today. You're here. You have a wonderful message for us. Help us to learn and uh, Lord, give us the eye exam that we need. And Lord, if there's deficit, if there, there's correction that needs to be made in our life, God, give us the prescription so that we can see clearly. We want to have 2020 vision. We want to we want to see you and your purpose and your vision and your mission clearly for our life. And Father, if we err on the nearsighted or farsighted spiritual vision, God, bring about correction today. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a couple of points. Uh, Luke chapter 8, we'll be there in just a second. Let me give you the first blank, and then we'll, we'll read the text. The first point I want you to write down for study is this, spiritual nearsightedness. In other words, spiritually, seeing the things right in front of me, if we're not careful, that can cause us to miss the big picture of ministry and life. It is possible to have spiritual nearsightedness, where the things in front of you are the main focus of our life, our attention, our time, our energy. And if we have that condition spiritually, listen, it will cause us to miss the things that are really down the road, the big picture of what God has for us. Luke chapter 8 is the text. We're going to read verses 22 to 25. The Bible says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he, Jesus Christ, went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And they're, you know, Jesus is not a good like boat companion. You know, he's like guys that just follow, like your wife in the car. She just follow. Okay, well, whatever. So he fell asleep, and they came, there came a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him, the disciples came to Jesus, and they awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and he rebuked, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm, and he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the wind and the water, and they obey him. So in this passage, Jesus is leading his disciples the Bible says in verse 22, on a certain day, and if you read a little further in the passage, they're going to meet a certain man 
in verse 27. They're, they're, they're sailing to an area called the Gadarenes, and they're traveling by ship. And, and this man that they're going to meet is, he's demon-possessed. He's full of evil spirits. Uh, he's the guy that says, you know, the Lord asked him his name, and, and he says, you know, my name's Legion, for we are many. Okay, that's the, the scenario that's going to happen. And so, and so Jesus is leading these disciples to do ministry, and as they're, as they're being led by Christ in this ship, the Bible says that they un- undertook some peril. There was a storm of wind on the lake, the ship began to fill with water, and they were in jeopardy. All of a sudden, their focus shifted on the fact that Jesus Christ said, we are all going to the other side. Their focus shifted from the long-distance view of life and ministry to what was immediately happening in their life. Do you see that in the story? Okay, two of you see it in the story. All right. Read it again if you need to read it again. Silently, please, not out loud. Okay. Their immediate concern was, was, was to focus on themselves and their immediate problem. And listen, I know that's never happened to you, but it did happen to these disciples. Their focus became self-focused and their interest became self-preservation. They even questioned Jesus' love for them and, you know, how could you be sleeping at a time like this? And, oh, by the way, Lord, we're perishing. We're perishing. Jesus' focus was to get to the other side because there was ministry to be accomplished. They're going to meet a man possessed with devils, and, and Christ himself is going to deliver that man from his oppression, from his bondage. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 35, it says that when they went out to see what was done, this man that was healed came to Jesus, and he found a man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were all afraid. I mean, Jesus healed this man so well that he had his right mind and he sat at Jesus' feet. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the victory that we have in Christ. The point is that these disciples lost their focus. They were super nearsighted. They forgot that in verse 22, Jesus said, we are going to the other side. Now listen. This is a reality in every Christian's life because God's called us to a mission. God's called us to a purpose. God's called us to all the things that we talked about in the month of January. But there are times in our life where we lose focus of what God called us to and immediately begin focusing on ourselves and the circumstances and issues and intricacies and details of our life daily. And we forget the big picture. And, and all of a sudden, the focus goes from the Lord and from the mission to us. And, and I want to I help us understand today that, listen, the ministry is all about reaching men and, and women, obviously. When I say men, I mean mankind. And if we lose focus of the mission, well, listen, all we're going to see is the wind and the water in the ship and the jeopardy. And I don't know where you are today, but I'm just telling you that that God sometimes has to warn us and remind us that it's real easy to get spiritually short-sighted. It's real easy to get so focused on the day-to-day that we miss the bigger picture that we're called to reach men. Listen, they, they sailed across the lake. They went to the Gadarenes. They did, Christ did one miracle for one man. And then they got in the boat and they went back across the lake. 
Now that ought to show you that the Lord loves reaching any and every one. Do you understand that? And he will go at great lengths to reach uh, all men. I mean, that's what he's done. And, and, and so men are the focus of the ministry. Men are the mission. We don't use men to build ministry at this church. We use ministry to build men. We, we use ministry to reach men and to build men. Christ did not lose focus. As a matter of fact, in the midst of that storm, was Christ fretting over the rain and the waves and the storm? No. What was he doing? He was asleep. <laughs> now, not like you in church, but I mean, he enjoyed it. I mean, he just, he wasn't worried about it because he knew he was getting to the other side. He had already spoken that truth. God's word is authoritative. We're going to the other side. And he says, we are going. All of us are going to get there together. We're not going to lose anybody. But see, the disciples have the same problem we have. We, we lose focus of what God's word says. And, and then the immediate issues of life begin to take priority and precedence over the mission. They the disciples began to focus all their time and focus and attention to the specifics. And they forgot the big picture. And, 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 I, and I really just want to remind us this morning, God, God doesn't want us to be so short-sighted that we can't see the bigger picture in life and ministry. Your life is more, your life is bigger and more than just today. And the mission is bigger than, than whatever you have on your plate right now. Anybody got anything on their plate right now? I've got two plates full of it, okay? Okay, listen. Well, I mean, I mean we all do, but, but we have to look past what's on the plate and see the big picture in life. We have to always keep the, the big picture of Christ's ministry in focus. Uh, so, so let me just give you some scenarios, and then I've got some blanks for you to fill out. Look, sometimes we forget that there's an eternal significance in life's choices. In other words, let me ask you this question. Did you think about the eternal significance, the long-term significance, the missional significance of taking the job that you took. How is this job going to affect my life and the ministry that God's called me to? Well, nobody ever asked that question. Uh, we take the job because that's the short term, and then we try to figure out how we're going to do ministry once we've made that decision. We look at the immediate instead of the long term, right? That's what we do. How many of us would say, well, when I was looking at, at getting a spouse, I asked the question, how is marrying this person going to affect my life or ministry? How is it going to affect my life or ministry? No, we, we look at the immediate details of, man, <laughs> I'm burning. I got I to gotta get a spouse. I got to get a wife, a husband. I, mm, now, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, and, it, and it's immediate and you lose the long-term focus of what it really is all about. How will buying this house in this location affect my life or my ministry? Well, it's a, it's a good deal. Well, maybe it is a good deal. But, but can you think of past the immediate and actually see the long range of how this is going to affect your life and ministry? You see, that's our problem. Nearsightedness, I think, for a lot of Christians is really just the reality of where we live. We can't see the potential consequences or, or we can't even see the eternal consequence of our decisions and the choices that we make. We're so concerned with the now. We're so concerned with the storm. We're so concerned with the, the, the waves coming in the ship and the jeopardy that we think we're experiencing. We can't even see tomorrow or eternity. 
someone that's nearsighted would be one that you've heard the proverb said, they can't see the forest for the, for the trees. Oh, you went, you've heard the same saying. Okay. So the Bible is full of people that were nearsighted. And, and their, their choices and decisions, we can learn from those things so that we don't make the same decisions and choices. Okay. So Eve is an example. Eve was short-sighted. She was nearsighted. She didn't understand the big picture. She didn't see the big picture of God's judgment over sin. I mean, do you remember the story in Genesis chapter 3? God had instructed Adam, look, of every tree of the garden, you can freely eat. I've given you every tree of the garden to eat from. I've provided everything that you will ever want or need. There's only one tree that you can't eat of it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then you know the story in Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes into that garden, and listen, he approaches the woman, and he, began, he begins to beguile her and make her question what God said and, and, and took her focus from the big picture to what was right in front of her. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 6. The Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And you know from the passage that Adam and Eve spiritually died. They didn't physically die until years later, but they spiritually died because God said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Listen, Eve was so spiritually short-sighted that all she saw was the tree in front of her, She didn't see every other tree in the garden. She lost the big picture. There was only one tree that they were forbidden to eat of. And I don't know how many trees were in that garden, but God said that every tree is good for you, and it's freely given to you. Eat as much as you want, as often as you want. And her focus shifted from the big picture to what was right in front of her. Spiritually, she got nearsighted, and all she could see was the one tree that was, that was, she, was, she was forbidden to eat. And then she was beguiled into thinking, well, it's okay to do this. She didn't see the significance and the big picture that ultimately the consequence of her decision would, would cause spiritual death. You know, Lot, Lot in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 13, Lot is another man that had spiritual nearsightedness. And if you read Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot both were herdsmen. They both had flock and cattle. And uh, God had blessed Abraham. God had said he's going to make a great nation of him. He's going to give him a land. He's going to bless his seed. All these different things. The Abrahamic covenant is in effect in in Genesis 13. And, and, And Lot... Well, he has a lot of herd and, and cattle and, and shepherds and all these different things. And so he and Abraham, they kind of get in a little bit of a riff. And, and the land is not big enough for both of them. And so Lot, the Bible says in Genesis 13 and verse 11, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and journeyed east. And they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Lot chose Sodom. The Bible says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. 
And, and, and if you've read the rest of the account of Lot's life, you know that his time in Sodom and Gomorrah affected him, and it affected his family, and it affected his daughters. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 2, don't turn there, but listen, the Bible tells us that, that Lot and his time in Sodom affected him so much that his righteous soul was vexed from day to day because of the wickedness and unlawfulness in Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, Lot didn't see the big picture of God's provision. Lot looked for what was immediately in front of him. Lot was the proverbial guy that said, the grass is greener on the other side. And he chose that for himself, not trusting in God's provision for his life, but trusting in his ability to choose for himself. And guess what? The consequence of his decision destroyed his family. Nearsightedness. Not seeing the big picture. Gideon is another man that, that didn't see the big picture. When, 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 when the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, uh, God said to Gideon, I want to use you to deliver the nation of Israel. I want to use you to save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And in verse 15 of Judges chapter 6, he, Gideon, said unto him, unto the Lord, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In other words, what, what Gideon looked at was his own inadequacies. Well, I don't come from the greatest tribe of Israel. I actually come from the least. And of that tribe, I'm the least of the least. I'm nobody. And what Gideon didn't understand is he lost the big picture of God's power. I mean, how big is our God? And, and who can he use? Well, he can use anybody that's willing to be used. There, there's no inadequacy in, in any of us in the, sense that, in the sense that God's power is able to trump all of that. Listen, you're, you're not capable to be used of God outside of God himself using you. Does that, does that make sense? And so listen, when we forget... The big picture, this is why sometimes in churches people don't serve in ministry, because they have spiritual, spiritual nearsightedness. You don't see the big picture. You don't see that God, has, as a born-again believer, has given you spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ, to edify the body of Christ. You've got nearsightedness. You, you think that you're inadequate, you think you're insufficient. Listen, you are, but God isn't. And listen, when God uses you, he can use you to make a difference in anyone's life, including this church family. And then the last one is Elisha's servant. And many of you know the story. We sang the song, you know, Elisha's servant didn't see the big picture of God's protection. And you know the story. Elisha is up on the mountain and his servant is with him. And uh, th this host of en enemies come and encamp the city with horses and chariots. And, and the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 6, Verses 15 to 17, his servant said unto him, unto Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? All these people are come out against us. <laughs> it's just me and you. <laughs> this ain't going to end well. And Elijah is just like, hey, man, chill out. That's what the Hebrews, if you read the Hebrew, fear not, just chill out. That's, I'm just joking. He answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And the servant's like, what are you talking about? It's just me and you. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He was so nearsighted that all he saw 
was himself and Elisha and the enemy. And, and the Lord said, oh, you need a big picture vision. Let me, let me open your eyes. Let me give you some prescriptive glasses to what's going on. And God opened his eyes and the mountain was full of the Lord's hosts. Spiritual nearsightedness affects all of us. Okay, so here, here's the key, and, and you want to you get this down. Spiritual nearsightedness many times in our life, in my life, and your life, spiritual nearsightedness is a result of the desires and concerns of my flesh instead of faith in what God has said. That's how we get spiritually nearsighted. It, 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 it's when we give more attention and more emphasis and more focus to the desires and concerns of our flesh instead of faith in what God has already said. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, we're going to the other side of the lake. So no matter what happens after that statement, we are all going to get to the other side of the lake. Does that, does that make sense? It doesn't matter. The journey doesn't matter. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just saying it doesn't matter if it's a storm, if it's a, a school of shark. It doesn't matter if the ship falls apart and they have to swim. They're all going to get to the other side with Jesus Christ. Because he said so. God is going to use Gideon. Why? Because he said so. It, it has root in, in the authority of God's word, not the insufficiency of my flesh. Remember what I told you the, the medical term for nearsightedness is? It's called myopic. Myopic. And I'm not saying that the medical terminology has anything to do with the Bible, but I am saying that the, the, the reason for spiritual nearsightedness many times is me. Is me. Myopic. When I focus on the temporal instead of the internal, when I focus on my misery instead of God's mission, when I focus on my inability instead of God's sovereignty and power, when I focus on my comfort instead of God's glory. So, how to, okay, so, so if, if the Lord were to shine the light of His Word into our eyes and, and test our vision and say, okay, we have a case of spiritual nearsightedness here. Well, how do we get victory over that? What, what would the Lord prescribe for us? And I think the answer is in Colossians chapter 3. The, the prescription is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And let me just read the text. It's on the next slide. You can get the verse off the next slide. The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. In other words, take your focus off of the, the, the immediate and focus on the eternal. As a matter of fact, focus so much on the eternal that you're actually looking up to where Jesus Christ is right now. And where Christ is right now is at the right hand of God. He is in the, the third heaven, as, as Paul calls it. He's not in our sky. He's not in outer space. He is in the very throne room of God. That's where he is, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Paul says, listen, seek, focus on things above. Have a big picture vision for your life and for your ministry. If you never do that, you'll forget that there is a big picture. 
and the, and the details of life. And listen, life's hard. I get it. And I'm, I'm with you. It is hard. But the details of life will consume all of our time, all of our attention, all of our mental energy and emotional energy and even physical energy and spiritual energy. And we miss what we're really called to do. Does that, does that make sense? And so, and so let's, let's let God correct our vision if the only things that we see in life are the things that are urgent and in front of us and we don't have the eternal perspective, okay? Now, we got to hurry. You're not listening fast enough, okay? So, so that <laughs> we should have gave you a reminder as we started. You have to listen fast so we can get done. But the second, the second potential spiritual vision problem we can have is spiritual farsightedness. Okay, we're, we're nearsightedness. We see the things right in front of us, but we miss the big picture, Spiritual farsightedness is exactly the opposite of that. In other words, we'll miss what's right in front of us, but we can see clearly in the distance. In other words, we can't see the trees for the forest. Does that make sense? Where in the nearsightedness, we can't see the forest. We can't see the big picture because of the trees. Farsightedness now is that we can't see the trees because of the forest. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody would equate it with this statement. Well, he's kind of a big picture kind of guy. He doesn't sweat the small things in life. Having farsightedness means that we focus on the macro instead of the micro. In other words, hey, you realize that you're saved and your home is in heaven. You, you know that you're going to spend eternity with the Lord if you're a child of God. You sing about it. You believe it. You know you're going to heaven. Maybe you know all the prophetic events of, of, of the book of Revelation and the rest of the scriptures, and you actually know how all of them are going to lay out sequentially in time. Like, man, I've got it all figured out. All that stuff that's going to happen way down there, I've got it all figured out. And, and honestly, between you and the Lord, you even know who the Antichrist is, let's be honest, right? You, you, between you and the Lord, I mean, you just kind of know, you know, because you've got it all figured out down there. You know, your focus can become so focused on the long term and the distant future that you miss what's right in front of you. And so I need you to turn to Luke chapter 7 in the last couple of minutes here. We've got about 10 minutes. Um, Luke chapter 7 is a great story to illustrate this point. I think for some of us, we have to be careful that we don't get so far-sighted with the things of God, prophetic events, the fact that, man, heaven's our home and I can't wait to get there. And listen, that's a wonderful thing and you should anticipate that. But in the gap between when you got saved and when you get to heaven, well, there's a whole lot of things that God expects. There's a whole lot of work to do. There's a, there's a mission to accomplish. Luke chapter 7, okay, so verses 36 to 48, the Bible says this. This is the story of Simon the Pharisee inviting Jesus Christ into his house. The Bible says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. So one of these religious leaders asked Jesus to come over for, for a meal. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meal and, 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 to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So this, this is kind of a scene happening because he is in a religious leader's house and this woman identifies Christ and now begins to worship him and anoint him and to, and to worship and praise him. 
So verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, speaking of Christ, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. Okay, so he didn't, by the way, say that out loud. You need to get that from the text that he said it in his heart. He didn't verbalize that. You need to know Even if it doesn't come out of your mouth, the Lord hears it. Because the very next verse says, And Jesus answering. Uh Uh-oh. So Jesus hears it even if I don't say it? Yeah. Maybe we should have started with this point. Okay, anyways. So Jesus answering, and he said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50 And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? And Simon answered and and saying, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most will love the debtor that he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? And now here's the point. Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered into thy house... Thou gavest me no water for my feet. What was the Pharisee concerned with? He was concerned with the meal. He was concerned with being seen with Jesus in his house. He was concerned with the big picture. You know what he missed? The details. And the details are really important. He said, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss which would have been culturally the right thing to do. You would, have, you would have, If somebody was a guest in your home, you would have absolutely helped to wash their feet, provided water. You would have absolutely greeted them with a kiss. That is that culture. And in many cultures today, that's still the same. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint which would have also been customary. If you're traveling in an arid desert type place, you dry out, the beard needs some oil. And, and, and Jesus is kind of saying, where's the oil, man? You didn't give me any oil. But this woman, she has not stopped anointing my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but on whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Here's the point. You know, this Pharisee is, is many times like us as Christians, so far-sighted and so focused on maybe image, maybe focused on the meal, maybe focused on how to leverage Jesus for personal gain, that he forgot to focus on people. He forgot to focus on people. And the people that he didn't focus on was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He didn't serve him. He didn't give him oil. He didn't give him water for his feet. He didn't kiss him. He didn't give him oil for his head. So here's the key that you need to get down. Look, spiritual far-sightedness. You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. You got all the stuff figured out. Listen, it makes you miss opportunities to minister to people. You can come to this church and miss the people. And what I mean is you miss the opportunity to minister to people. 
And, and you can be so focused with whatever your thing is that you miss the opportunity to minister to people. And you, you know you're going to heaven. Listen, I know I'm going to heaven. You know the Bible. You know the things about the Bible. But you, you can get so concerned with the long range that you miss the very opportunities right in front of you. Oh, I got to get, I got to get to my class. Oh, I got to get the, I got to get a music stuff set up. Oh, I got to get the slides loaded. Oh, I got to get the, da, 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 I got to get whatever I got to get is can make you miss people. I mean, listen, if you miss the opportunities to serve in the body of Christ, you're looking too far ahead. You may be looking for heaven. You may be rejoicing in heaven. You may be singing about it. You may be thankful for it. And I'm, I'm with you. I agree with all those things. But if you focus on that and you, and you miss the opportunity of the person sitting right next to you to ask them how their week's been, how can you pray for them, how can you minister to them, how can you minister to the new family? How, how can you serve people in our, in our church family that have a need physically, spiritually? Listen, if you don't see the need of the church family, both physically and spiritually, well, it just means you're too farsighted. And, and you're missing it. So God, God knows that. That's why God wants to, to clear our vision up. Okay, look, here's the second thing, and, and this, we need to spend a minute here. I know, I know we're, we're inching closer to, to stop time. But it's your fault, so, okay. <clears throat> Listen, spiritual farsightedness not only makes us miss opportunities to minister to people, but spiritual farsightedness will make us blind to the details of the daily disciplines of a disciple of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual farsightedness. I know all the, man, I know I'm going to be in heaven. I know all the things that are going to happen. I believe in the rapture and the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, and the judgments. I believe in all of that. Okay. If you're not careful and that's all you focus on, you are going to, to be blind to the details of the daily disciplines of a disciple of Christ that are necessary and are right in front of us. So here we go. Here we go. You need to understand that daily we have a cross to bear. You know, the Bible teaches us in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 that Jesus Christ said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, I did that once, but now I'm waiting on heaven. <laughs> You're too far-sighted. Do you understand? You're looking way down the road and you, and you walk right past that cross that the Lord intends for you to bear and follow Him. You can't follow Him without the cross. You've got to take that cross up daily and then follow Him. You know, the Bible teaches us that daily we ought to be in the Scriptures. Well, I read through the Bible last year. Okay, well look, it's, it's 2020. It's a new year. And, and we have a new, new plan, and, and listen, we got the same word, but, but you need more of it. Acts 17, you know, these Bereans in Acts chapter 17, when Paul came through their area and preached in their area, the Bible says in verse 11 that these Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures, how often? Daily. Daily. 
Whether those things were so, oh, but Jay, I'm going to heaven, man. I understand all that stuff. Yeah. You're so far-sighted. You don't see what's right in front of you. That book. <laughs> and your need to be in that book. Because you need, you need a word from God today. You need, you need God to strengthen you today. Listen, you've got a cross to bear today. You have scriptures to search today. Number three, you have fellowship to enjoy. And by the way, today. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47. The Bible says, And they continuing daily. This is the church at Jerusalem where, where the Lord obviously man, gave his Holy Spirit and things just started to take off from Jerusalem. They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and eat their, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You know, one of, the, one of the concerns I have as a pastor for our church is that we don't really have still the right amount of fellowship that we need. And fellowship ain't just a Sunday morning thing. And it's not a Sunday school thing and a Sunday morning thing. And for you super spiritual people, it's not just a Wednesday night thing. The early disciples and followers of Jesus Christ were together daily. I'm not saying we, we sell all our houses and like build a compound. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you would be for that. You've already voiced that and that concerns me. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there is something biblical about biblical fellowship and communion with the body. And I don't mean the Lord's Supper communion. I mean communion as in fellowship with believers in Christ daily. Oh, well, I'll be there next Sunday. You're too farsighted. You're too farsighted. I just can't work that into my schedule. You're too farsighted. You need it. You need it. Number next is this. Listen, we have a faith that needs to be established daily. We have a faith that needs to be established daily. Acts chapter 16 and verse 5 says this, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. We have a faith that needs to be established and increased on a daily basis. The next one is we need, a, we need daily to have people to evangelize to. Acts chapter 17 and verse 17 says this, that Paul Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul had a heart and a burden for evangelism, and it wasn't just a Sunday morning burn in his heart. It, it, it was a zeal that said, man, today I want, I want God to bring somebody into my life that I can meet with. Maybe it's in the Jewish synagogue or maybe it's just out in the market that I can share Christ with. Man, listen, that's... that's the, oh, yeah, man, we're going to get... Okay, yeah, we're going to get there. But if you get so far-sighted, you'll forget that you have work to do now, today. Let me give you the last one. Look, daily we have a church to care for. Daily. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, when Paul goes through all the difficulties of his life, the things he experienced, the, 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 the shipwreck and the stonings and the beatings and, and the, the nakedness and the hunger, all the different things. And, and then he says all the way at the end of that whole list of, of things that he suffered for the Lord's sake, he says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, here it is, the care of all the churches. Now, again, God used Paul to, to plant many of those churches, obviously. 
And my, my, my admonition to you this morning is not that you write down every church and, and that you have a care for all the churches, but I do want you to care for this church. And I would ask you to care for it daily. I would ask for you to care for it daily. You know, you can get so far-sighted in your walk with the Lord that you miss what's right in front of you. You miss the spiritual disciplines that God's called us to to be a part of daily. We don't have the care for our church family that we should have daily. It's an afterthought, and then Sunday rolls around. And as soon as we walk out, then we forget because it's Super Bowl Sunday. God, God gives us a prescription to correct farsightedness. And I believe it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 30, 31. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. I just die daily. And I die daily so that Christ daily can live through me. And I know your blanks are full, so don't, don't check out on me mentally yet. I can hear those Bibles creep and closed. Listen, I think God wants to give us a vision test this morning. I think he wants to take the, the word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 130 says this, The entrance of thy words giveth what? Light. And it giveth understanding to the simple. You know, for some of us this morning, we may need to come to terms that we've got a little bit of a spiritual vision deficit. And, and maybe nearsightedness spiritually is what's happening, and we're so focused on the circumstances and details and, and difficulty. Listen, difficulty is a real thing in life, but it consumes us to the point that our flesh takes priority over faith. If that's the case, let God, let God clear up your vision. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. For some of us, we may have so looking and longing for the things that God has promised us. And listen, they are wonderful promises. But if we only focus on those things and we miss the very people that are right in front of us to minister to, we got a farsightedness problem. This church ought to be, and any church ought to be, and should be, and by the grace of God will be, a place where we have a heart for people. And no matter if the tech is working or not working, no matter if the schedule is being followed to the minute or not, we don't miss the opportunities to minister to people. We want to do that. We want to be that kind of church. Let's pray we are right on time. Thank you. Father, we love you. And Lord, I do thank you so much for your word. And